everything can't be number one. Everything can't be what we highlight on social media today, what we highlight in the newsletter, what we highlight on the homepage. Welcome to Content in Practice. I'm your host, Blaine Kylo. In each episode, I speak with someone about how we do the work of content. Associations are everywhere. These are the organizations that represent members of a community, whether they are individuals or part of a trade or industry association. They exist to provide a connection between birds of a feather. They're often created to promote the interests of members, to provide an opportunity for collegiality and learning, and even to ensure standards of practice are adhered to. Managing content operations in associations is an interesting challenge simply because of how associations are structured. In an association with members, who is accountable for the content? Who is accountable for the decisions made about that content? Hilary Marsh has been providing her content strategy expertise to associations and nonprofits for years. From 2007 to 2011, she was the managing director of the website for the National Association of Realtors, and since then has worked with clients including the American Bar Association, the American Medical Association, and the National Association of Convenience Stores. In the work she's been doing, Hillary recognized that the standard definition of content strategy was missing something. On the phone from Chicago, she explained her rationale for adding a word after telling me her revised definition. The planning and judgment for the creation, publication, dissemination, and governance of useful, usable, effective content across departments and functional areas. And so that effective piece is, um, is the new word that I added because I feel like something might be really great, it's useful. It might be usable in terms of how we create it. And effective is adding um, the explicit audience and goal to be able to be measured. That not only do we have to know that there's an audience there, we have to set some goals for the content. And, we, and those goals have to be clear and measurable and business focused. So the goals have to be about not how many hits on the page, but why do we have this content, which gets to the heart of why we have the program that the content is about. That information is there in our heads, why we have this program, but it's not always explicitly clear to the audience. So it's making all that implicit stuff clear and obvious so that they can get that aha moment and they can get the light bulb and think, yes, this is the thing I have been missing. I didn't even know it. That's super critical. It's almost why didn't we think to include that before? When I added it, I was like, oh, of course. It was just an oversight that it wasn't there already. Well, it's an iterative process. One of the other words that I tend to use to describe the nature of the content strategy work that I do is ecosystem. Right, so there's a way in which an organization is like a department store or like an ecosystem. There's a reason that it, we don't just offer one thing. 
whether it's a corporation or any of that, and it's certainly true in associations. Why does the association have a certification program, a meeting, a government advocacy work, uh, a magazine, various discounts? Because since we already have that audience here, they need more than one thing, and they're already looking to us for that. Let's expand our offerings. And those things are connected because collectively they add up to a positive experience with the organization, continued you know, uh, payment of their membership dues to continue to be a member, and ideally more use of the things that the staff is fully engaged in creating. So then it's a win-win. The member gets more value, the organization keeps people and gets more people using the things that it offers. So that ecosystem model and helping people see that there's a reason that we exist collectively and not just as individual companies or organizations is a good thing. A handful of CEOs In the past year, Hillary has been working with Carrie Hain and Dina Lewis on a research project studying content strategy adoption and maturity in associations. Sponsored by the ASAE Foundation, which is an association for associations, the final report will be coming out later in 2019. One of the things they did was interview association CEOs to ask what content strategy success looks like from their perspective. So one of them said that she knows content strategy is successful when the organization's programs are more successful. And so I think that that explanation and that understanding did an amazing job at tying in the content about an organization's offerings, you know, products, services, programs, resources, tool information, all of that, to the business outcomes that it's about. So a lot of times, especially in associations, content is about our work, not even about our work. It is our work. It represents our work. And that CEO who talked about they, she knew when content strategy was working, when the organization's work is more successful. I love that tie-in. There was an understanding then that content, the intent of that content was to drive program adoption. Well, not only to drive it, right? Because, you know, something that Kathy Wagner often says is that there's core content and promotional content. And I think that she was really talking about not just the promotional content, but the core stuff, which is the content of the program. So not only how are we promoting this offering we have, but how are we talking about the offering once we get people to, to that content? How do we get them to use that program? And again, it's not promoting it, but it, it's describing what it is and, and having the language and the portrayal of that offering there to let people take advantage of it. Even the way we talk about programs and explain them to audiences, if you do that better, you'll have better program participation. Right. And the connection there is that the people who are working on the program remember that the program isn't for them, even though they're so smart and have such deep expertise and they understand the context of the program. The audience doesn't. You know, they're busy living their lives. And if they're going to interrupt their lives and discover and be able to use something that, that may well indeed make their lives better, then, then that thing 
has to do a good job of showing itself as why it's better and why you should add this to your plate and take advantage of this thing, whatever it is. This is critical because associations depend on their content. Hillary says that associations are content machines because content is what they do. Whether it's a discount on, on car rental, you know, what is that? It's text on a page talking about it and, you know, a link to go sign up. But if it's buried seven levels deep, if you're writing about it in the code or jargon of whatever it is, rather than language that's clear to people, then you're not really helping your program be as successful as it should be, which is why that effective piece is so important. Effective is asking the questions, who's this for and what does success look like? So if we spend seven and a half months producing the 64 page PDF and 12 people look at it, is that good? Who's it for? Why are we doing it? Why are we investing that time? And what is it that we expect to happen as a result? One of the big challenges in an association is managing the homepage of its website. This is something Hillary has firsthand experience with. Because associations, the way they work, is often, not all the time, but very often, is that a, a department comprised of staff members develops a program at the request and with the guidance from a committee of member volunteers. So the, I used to work for the National Association of Realtors. The member volunteers are real estate agents. They're not professional you know, lobbyists or advocacy people or meeting planners or all that. They have an interest in one topic area or another and they're willing to volunteer their time, but their expertise is real estate sales and so, or running a real estate business. And so they guide the association on how the association can best represent their interests or offer things that would be of a benefit to uh, the agents who might work for them or to them or to the, the profession of real estate agents. So the department of staff people who are charged with putting on that event or doing that government advocacy work or um, all the other things that the association might offer, producing that magazine, it's hand in glove in partnership with this committee of member volunteers or multiple committees sometimes. And because of that relationship, departments in an association tend to be looking outward each at their own uh, committee rather than uh, horizontally across other departments. And it's kind of hard to build those cross relationships when you're so busy focused on your accountability to the committee. So because everybody is working independently for good reason, you know, with the dynamics of the association, it's really hard to pull people back, bring them together, determine what the organization's priorities are and how their work and their particular initiative fits into the organization's overall priority. Everybody would say, oh, mine is number one. Mine is the thing that members join for. Mine is the thing that's gonna keep the profession safe. Mine is the thing that's amazing for whatever reason. The other story I want to share with you is one association that had gotten a new CEO, young, really dynamic guy. Um, he's well known in the profession for being an innovative thinker. And what he did was put that focus um, in place 
from the top. So everybody knew these are the organization's priorities in order. So the person in charge of the website wasn't asking those questions for the first time of his peers or people who ranked higher than him in the organization. Everyone knew the answer what goes on the homepage today because there was kind of a priority framework for that. That eliminated tons of internal conflict that arises when, when that kind of uh, uh, overall understanding isn't there. Is that something you see frequently with associations that there may not be business goals set at that high level? Unfortunately not. I will tell you at the association I worked for, their strategic goals were so broad and they weren't prioritized. So it's not that each individual program didn't have its own goals, but when it came time to decide what's the most important thing for us to highlight today, that, that means that the answer can only be one thing. So that means everything else is not the most important thing to highlight today, and people didn't really like that because their particular interest was in defending and highlighting their, you know, their work, what they were working on. And I respect that. I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but everything can't be number one. Everything can't be what we highlight on social media today, what we highlight in the newsletter, what we highlight on the homepage. And so that priority means looking across everything. And again, they're not familiar with doing that. And so it's really hard. Unless I can say, here's my success from my work. Um, and, and especially if that's what I'm rewarded for, then I don't care about anybody else's success. I only care about the success of my piece of it. Uh, the other thing that we really found in our research, um, and it was so interesting to get some numbers behind what we three consultants have always known, is how closely content strategy success is tied to culture. We ended up with a maturity model. In this maturity model, the most advanced content strategy practices in an association involve collaboration, support, all kinds of team setups and team planning and councils and joint efforts. And that speaks as much to culture as it does to the content that comes out of any program. So it's culture in terms of planning content together. So we're deciding as a team which content we're going to put on the homepage today or how we describe our organization, whether that's under the niche of your department stuff or that one or that one or that one. So it's more of an us approach. And that can't really happen in a culture that's competitive. That's an interesting insight that the, this idea that content strategy is by its very nature collaborative. Right, because, because it's not the program's content strategy, it's the association's content strategy. And that's why understanding, and these are the conversations I end up having a lot, understanding the context of the audience, the context of each program, 
in the organization's world and in the audience's world is so critically important to understand. And by understand, I don't mean me, I don't mean the web director, I don't mean each person, I mean collectively. It's not dissimilar to trying to break down silos in any large organization. Yep. I'm working right now with a nursing association and I've really been grappling with how to help them publish their content in a topic structure that makes sense. And part of it is that I'm not a medical surgical nurse. I don't understand the nuances of the actual content as it relates to somebody's work. They had an amazing light bulb this week, an amazing realization that part of our challenge is, part of the reason we're having this challenge is because one source of content describes the topics this way and a different source describes them differently. And neither of those really are how a typical nurse would talk about or look for that information. So where I suspect that they're going to go, and I was so happy that they're the ones who told that to me after lots of probing questions versus me telling it to them, since they had the realization, that means that they can help maybe adjust the, the, the content sources that people are using to educate themselves, to get certification, to ask questions in a community, so that it's all common. And once it's all common, then we can do a lot more with it in terms of uh, connecting information, connecting topics, and helping people discover what they want, regardless of what path they start in. One of the things that you said earlier was how people who work in associations often find themselves accountable to volunteer committees that provide sort of the guidance um, when it comes to developing programs. Do you find that often in some associations, the volunteers are also the ones expected to create the content? That varies. In the realtor association world that I lived in when I worked for the National Association of Realtors, they almost never do. Sometimes, but not very often. One of the first clients I had when I left the association world was called HIMSS, Healthcare Information Management System Society, so healthcare IT. And in their instance, the members were and that member task forces and work groups were creating plenty of the content. In the American Bar Association, members create a lot of the content. So it varies. It really varies a lot from one to another. In those organizations where they do rely on volunteers, how difficult is it to get those volunteers to align to the standards that the association needs? I, I can imagine it's difficult to say, hey, you're giving us this for free, but you have to jump through all these hoops and follow all these standards. Well, not only that, what about when it comes time to update it? So in the nursing association I'm working with now, I'm really waiting. I, I don't feel ready yet to produce kind of firm governance guidelines for exactly that reason. So their nurses are producing a lot of the clinical content, which is great, and it's good, smart stuff, but then they need to go back to their day jobs and move on or create more content about new topics. So 
how do you keep content up to date or assign somebody else to go review it so that it stays current and somebody else using that information can know that they can rely on that. How do we do that? And I think that it's me asking the questions and them trying to figure out, I can't tell them, oh, all your content has to be reviewed twice a year. So if we can't do that, then maybe the answer is produce less so that you can put that kind of stamp of approval or last review date on everything so that it is something that a, another member coming in to read can know they can rely on because it's current. You mentioned something in our, in our earlier conversation too about trying to keep committees out of the execution of things. Let them participate in what needs to happen, but not how. And that's, that's true of staff people as well. So if this is a partnership, if all of this is ultimately a partnership between a member and a staff person, between a subject matter expert and a content expert, so there's so many different kinds of partnerships that a successful content strategy requires, then everybody has to understand they're part of the partnership. And ultimately, once they really get that they can trust the other partner in the relationship to further their goals and their mission, they can sort of breathe a sigh of relief and go back to doing what they're innately good at. Ultimately, a, a committee person who's a real estate agent or a lawyer or a doctor or, or whatever profession they're in is volunteering to take their expertise and use that to contribute ideas or guidance to the association that represents thousands of other people like them in the same career in the same profession. But since they're not professional meeting planners, their job is guidance, not execution of the meeting. They should leave the hotel, you know, logistics to an expert in that or the meeting date decisions to an expert in that or the particular speakers who are speaking on topics to people who live in that world. Then if, if the dynamic of the uh, staff member connection is such that the uh, staff needs to have the blessing of the committee, that's different. But it's ultimately not helpful for the committee person to get their hands too dirty in the execution. And by the same token, there's that same kind of relationship between subject matter experts and content experts. So if you're an expert in some area within the association, that doesn't mean you should decide what's the headline because you're not a content expert. And there needs to be trust that everybody's goal is in getting the program known, understood, appreciated, and used. It's everyone's joint goal. So again, not conflict, but cooperation and collaboration for the common end. You've been listening to Content in Practice. This episode was produced by Kathy Wagner and me. Thank you to Hilary Marsh. Music used in this episode is from Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. This podcast is presented by Content Strategy Incorporated, a consultancy focused exclusively on content strategy. Find us online at contentstrategyinc.com. Thanks for listening to Content and Practice. I'm Blaine Kylo.